Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Rongotha, Rongotha, which is, of course, Fijian for Achtung, Achtung. A huge thank you to listener Matt Wiggins for that. Matt's mum grew up in Fiji and met his dad when he was there with the Peace Corps. Yep, that's right. If you want to, if there was one uh, military unit you want to join, it's the Peace Corps. Nothing going to happen to you, is there? Right. Well, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the podcast in the front line of Second World War history. Not so much in the front line is trapped behind enemy lines with dwindling ammo and the enemy have cut off the water. Um, James, how are you? Uh, today finished off reading the ship which I, I woke up this morning listening to the bird song obviously light pouring into the back of the uh, back of yeah. the dodge and um yeah finished the last chapter of the uh, last couple of chapters of the ship it's gripping which, isn't god, it god i love that book he's a i mean he's he's forrester has that get inside someone's head uh, uh doesn't thing he? doesn't he that, that he's really yeah. good at it's really really good absolutely at absolutely amazing and it, and it just and felt it just felt right didn't it you just felt yeah, yeah. you were in good hands of someone taking you through the workings of a of a light cruiser in an action yeah. against the Italian fleet in yeah. early 1942. No, it's excellent, excellent. I've just been reading. Um, I've just been reading about the uh, the Art Royals' uh, first attempted attack on the Bismarck, in which they fired 18 torpedoes at the Sheffield. <laughs> and luckily, luckily they all um, failed. I mean that. <sighs> Thank goodness for that. that. Imagine that as like as. The, as the story of the attempt to sink the Bismarck, part one. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, as oh as a bl- as blue on blue goes, 
if they put 18 torpedoes into the Sheffield, I mean, it's um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, they all yeah, get yeah, back, really and, and and you know the bollocking they must have got when they got back as well. Yeah, you realise, don't you, that there's so much of the. I mean, I'm sure the overall course of the war wouldn't have changed dramatically, but there are lots of small things that could have still radically changed things, couldn't it? A sort of decision here, a yeah. moment there, a chance, yeah. a chance you, miss. You've also got to ask if, if, if let's say those sort. And it is, I mean, reading the accounts of like getting a swordfish going on a on a on a. Mm. On a carrier in a pitching sea, so you you know that one minute they're pushing, twist twenty guys pushing the swordfish uphill, and then the ship tips and it's running downhill. I mean, yeah. th- just the whole thing is like absolutely. Uh, uh, but, but if they had sunk the Sheffield, that would have got covered up. There's absolutely yeah. they'd have gone. Oh, the Bismarck got it. Bismarck got the Sheffield. It wasn't the wasn't it wasn't the fleet air arm. And then no. someone would have gone. Oh no, it wasn't. Do, do you know what I mean? That yeah. would be one of those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would have turned into one of those great... I mean, there'd be a Channel 4 documentary, wouldn't there? Forgotten yeah. story of the Sheffield, blah, 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 with James Holland. I remember right, interviewing... Okay, I just... remember interviewing... Just very quickly, though. I remember interviewing a guy called Nat Gold, who had been a fairy swordfish wireless operator air gunner on, yeah. on, a, on a swordfish operating at the back. from Malta. Yeah. Bloke at the back. And, you know, you just sort of... Okay, so it is open cockpit. You know, it really is. Uh, and, and what they would do is they would go and mine... Tripoli Harbour and things yeah. like that, yeah, um, or Benghazi or something like that, yeah. And, and so they take off from Malta, fly at night across the Mediterranean, and then what you do at six thousand feet, you know, you'd cut the engine, glide to in. try and sort of give yourself a chance against the kind of harbour anti-aircraft installation, so they wouldn't be able to yeah. hear you coming in, yeah. And then you'd get in really low, sort of several hundred feet off the deck, drop your torpedo. And then try and start the engine again and hope it all went well and fly back to Malta. <laughs> that is, that's nerves of steel, isn't it? To do but, that. I, I mean, it is interesting, though, isn't it? Because the swordfish, the swordfish, after all, is the state-of-the-art um, uh, marine assault um, uh, weapons platform in 1938. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. How I mean, quickly things move on. And though. it's quite, incre- it is quite incredible. And that, and. Because, you know, in those Bismarck attacks, they're flying in 150 feet above the sea and the splashes from the Bismarck's AA, the, the, it, you know, it's 100-foot columns of seawater. I mean, the, the, just the, as danger goes. Uh, anyway, parish notices first. We had record numbers on our live <laughs> show on Thursday. 553 of you stout, stout yeomen of the independent company and yo women joined us for what has become a feature-length production. 90 minutes of pure We Have Ways of Making You Talk tangential yeah, it was supposed to be an hour, wasn't it? It's meant, it be it's meant to be now. It's meant to be Well, you know, you, it was, it's always an estimate, isn't it? I mean, the war was meant to be over by Christmas 1940, so there you go. that. The highlight for me was uh, uh, us doing a Stalin reenactment sketch. Oh, that was I thought good, that was particularly it? strong. I love that yeah. story about Rokossovsky, though. He's actually oh, very cool guy, and he did write his memoirs. And I think they're only kind of, you know, as as as, as leading Soviet marshals memoirs go, yeah. go yeah. it's reasonably... Um, Close to the truth. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, that did not happen. Oh, okay. I see. I see. In, I see in my early edition of the Times this morning that um, that Ben Wheatley's uh, stirring things up with his Prokhorovka Prokhorovka stuff. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because because that that's the sort of um, well, because there was the gap in the archive, basically in in Russia, where mm. you could go and have a look. 
That's right. Um, and have a proper look. And it's closed again um, for sort of nationalist um, political reasons. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so he, I mean, he'll he'll he won't be allowed to go to Russia, will he? That's the that, that's what'll happen. But the, the, there have been German historians um, uh, who've been banned from going going and looking at the Russian archive, and, and whose work has been mm. um, uh, ban- banned from Russia. Because they because they're basically going well. When you look at the you know it's not the biggest tank battle um, of all time a and secondly um, it's this sort of fantastically um, pyrrhic victory on the part of the Soviets that that, that yeah. you know they, they they're completely they are almost you know one of the guards armies I think is whole divisions lost yes. are written down and 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 and, and then of course. The, 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 then, of course, you get this. This um, uh, Roman Topol writes about this in his book about Kursk. That the you then Red Army doc- doctrine is based on what they have told themselves happened at Kursk, and of course yeah. that isn't what happened at Kursk. So, no. the, the, or, or rather, Russian Soviet Army after the post-war. So they end up in this with this doctrine that that's based mm. on a on a censored or version event of events. That didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, really, really quite interesting. But the Kursk salient was sort of like the lines of Torres Vedras times. A million, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like seven, wasn't it? Seven defensive lines because there was the ones behind yeah. Kursk as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I the, think the, the Soviets never, never penetrated more than two, did they? I think it's two, and the Soviet, the Soviets, the Soviets knew that the Germans were going to were going to try something. But when you compare it to the offensives of the year before, it, it, it's um, Vickers Tea Party stuff. That it just shows it shows how played that played out the Germans are because what the Germans are trying to do is straighten the line rather than. Drive yeah. to the drive to the Volga proper, or get to Moscow, yeah. or you, you you know what I mean. It it, it shows yeah, yeah. it shows sort of how how their ambitions have been pared back by what they can actually mm. a, actually can or can't achieve. Anyway, well, and um, the fact that if the Allies attack in the Mediterranean, they're going to call it off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's huge exactly. debates e, e, in the, June about whether they even do it at all. Call that off. It, it, call that off, even given the fact it's not a big offensive. Is is the is the thing? You know, it shows mm. actually how how limited they are. Anyway. We've, we've, you know what we've done there? We've digressed the way we do um, when we talk on a Thursday in the live cast. And this week, we are delighted to let you know that we have the brilliant Philippe Sands joining us on uh, Thursday evening. Um, you may well have heard his recent appearances on the pod talking about um, East West Street and the Rat Line. And it is, it's incredibly exciting that Philippe is going to join us and, and hopefully uh, be able to get his head around the chaos as it emerges. <laughs> uh, 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 and the, and the Will his legal stream... mind be able to cope with the... <laughs> <laughs> no comment right he'll be answering your questions live on Thursday uh, get them into us via Twitter email or the independent company site our Patreon and we'll get as many answered as we can so please do um, uh, uh, and of course on the message stream on the side I'm sure somebody will be chipping in also Gurgle Box is nearly with us have you all got your Banner Brothers box sets or have you bought it it just makes me laugh every time I see it well I'm waiting I hear to hear it. I am waiting to hear from their lawyers um, uh, have you got um, you have Band of Brothers box sets, or have you brought it um, uh, from Now TV or Amazon Prime? They're all available. It's out there, Band of Brothers. It's easy to get hold of. We'll announce the starting date this Thursday during the live cast. Um, uh, and we have another big, another event beginning next Monday, daily yes. for a week. Um, this is roll, very exciting. They just roll one off the other, don't they? Oh, exactly. As you know, as you probably know, James runs a very successful history festival each year at Chalk Valley. Um, and it's not happening this year um, because nothing else is either for obvious reasons. So instead, we're offering you a digital version, punningly entitled, and you know how, you know what, I'm ashamed how long it took us to think of this, <laughs> called We Have Ways of Making You Chalk. You know what? <laughs> Why did I have to come up with that? It's your history festival. 
Because you do the gags, everyone knows that. Well, that's quite true, yeah, exactly. And my my laser sharp my laser sharp mind took a whole year and a half to think about. <laughs> it's always about I, being... what, I walked up I walked up the festival site yesterday, though, and it was looking very very beautiful and very very empty, and it's really sad because you know this should be the big build this week. You know, tents should be going up, lots of hubbub, lots of activity, excitement in the air, and all the rest of it. So we're having to sort of redirect our excitement a little bit to uh, ways of we have ways I of mean, making you chalk. But, it must be but, fr- friendly about now with the festival running for you for you yeah and, it's uh, great well it's particularly friendly for rachel because she's a she's yeah. sort of site operations schools festival that's her 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 bit i do all the programming or i'm one of the people that does all the program programming so for me my work is over until the actual festival comes because right. then i'm sort of careering around like a blue ass what's it but um so you're yeah, not booking, you, know, the, you wouldn't, would you be like, I mean, you know, backing portaloos into the site and all that no, stuff? No, I'm not doing that stuff. Me, I'm not doing that me. stuff. In the old days, yes, but not now. <laughs> not now. I'd just be beetling around in my in my Dodge showing off and annoying everybody. Yeah. No. Anything you want me to do? Anything you want to put in the back? <laughs> I was looking forward to that. Oh, I can't get it in gear. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> that's, that's, the, only, the only bit I'm struggling with, the gears, is going from fourth to third. But I think I, I think I finally nailed it yesterday. That's that's the only thing. But but right. going up through the gears, I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm nailing it. Wonderful. So, yeah, so anyway, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to veer off Second World War just for one week only. And, and don't worry, we're not, yeah. we're not leaving it for long. Um, and we're not actually leaving it entirely, are we? Because I think everyone we've got no. on has got, got this, has got some tenuous link to the Second World War somewhere along the line. Correct. So we've got Michael Wood, the legend that is Mike Wood, um, yep. who is just so brilliant, it's not true. Um, and I used to just love all these programmes he used to do in search of the of the um, Dark Ages, in search of Trojan War, the footsteps of Alexander, yeah. etc., yeah. etc. Et um, and um, and he's terrific. And he's going to be talking about the story of China. But actually, he he had relatives on D Day, uh, and obviously China right. played a not insignificant role in the Second World War. Not that most people know that. Yeah. Um, and so we've got him. Um, we've got Nora Krug, who's rather rather brilliant. Yeah. She's a yeah. German uh, girl living in New York, and she's written this brilliant book. What it's like being German and the legacy and reckoning with the past and all the rest of it. So yeah, getting that'd be to really grips with her with her family's past and therefore what it means to be yes. German. Yeah, what her, just, what just... her Heimat truly is. Yes, uh, uh, yes. Uh, it's a brilliant, um, brilliant book. I can't wait to talk to her. Uh, we going back to the second world. We we have got a day on the road with a with a T thirty four, which should have been at, at Chalk Valley, but we've got that. So that will be us out and about, which will be exciting. Uh, we've got Gary Sheffield talking about the Thirty Years War, but not the Thirty Years War of the mid seventeenth century, uh, the Thirty Years War of nineteen fourteen to nineteen forty five. So yep. again, a nod to the Second World War, but kind of that big, big picture stuff. We've got Tim Bouverie talking about Chamberlain, the Apostle yep. of Peace in the 1930s, yep. um, and uh, we've got Andrew Zeminski, who's a stonemason, whose father was a Pole, um, forced to fight for the Germans, end up being a POW. Learned his trade as a stonemason in Scotland as a POW, passed it on to his son. His son has now done all sorts of amazing stuff. Worked on the West Kennet Long Barrow, worked at Salisbury Cathedral, the Roman Baths, all the rest of it. So big history stuff, big ideas, and he's a lovely fellow. And then we're hoping to get Professor Ali Ansari on as well. He's an Iranian Excellent. scholar, but also a big advocate of the Union of the United Kingdom. Interesting. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. So that's We Have Ways of Making You Chalk, which will be... I mean, come on. <laughs> come on, James. You should be ashamed of yourself that you had to rely on me to come out with that pun. I, um, I am a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, we even fun. did a We Have Ways of Making You Talk at Chalk and it didn't occur to us last year. <laughs> we did one at the festival live and we did, it didn't oh, occur to us. What a pair of complete muppets, right? Okay. Anyway. Now, um, as you, as many of you know, we don't know everything, um, and we're uh, we're happy to we're happy to um, occasionally let our polite listeners feel so emboldened as to point this out to us. And we've had an email from the presumably geriatric Gordon Skillen, and it says, "Dear Al and James, I did enjoy today's podcast and was amused by the comparison of the current government's handling of the coronavirus with the process of rearmament in the late 1930s." I'd love to say I hate to. <laughs> I'd love to say I hate to point it out. I hate to point it out, but that's a lie. And I hope that your podcast at least tolerates nerdy cor- tolerates nerdy corrections of this sort. Al reference certainly does. Of, it certainly does. Al reference stockpiles of stif- Spitfires, which brought a smile to my face because I'm sure you know the Air Ministry nearly cancelled the Spitfire because the Supermarine was so b- far behind in its production schedule. In 36, Supermarine was a company more used to producing orders of dozens of flying boats, and before fulfilling an order for 310 aircraft could even be thought about, the factory at Wooten in Southampton had to be rebuilt, and the number of skilled staff nearly doubled. The first Spitfire was not delivered until December 37, nine months late, later than scheduled. Due to problems with subcontractors, only 306 had been delivered to frontline squadrons by the time the war started. At one point, 80 fuselages had been produced, but no wings, forcing Supermarine to take wing production back in-house and reassign fitters from their own production lines to build them. Then there was the shadow factory at Castle (coughs) Bromage in Birmingham, which had been designed along the lines of a car factory, which failed to produce a single Spitfire by May 1940. According to Alfred Price's book, The Spitfire Story, the problem was with constantly having to change the production line tooling to fit an aircraft that was, at this stage, in a state of continuous modification. According to Supermarine employee C.R. Russell, writing in his book Spitfire Odyssey, there were other issues including strikes and industrial action by the workforce at Castle Bromwich. Castle Bromwich was a sick joke in in aviation circles, as test pilot Alex Henshaw admits years later. Minister of Aircraft Production Lord Beaverbrook took personal control of the situation. At great effort, ten Spitfires were produced by the factory. The ten in June was flaunted to the press, largely to cover up the complete mess that had been holding up production beforehand. Luckily, the Castle Bromwich factory was up to speed when the factories at Southampton and Eastleigh were heavily damaged by a bomber raid in September 1940. For these reasons, the Spitfire is very close to being cancelled and the factory's production changed to Bristol Bowfighters. Luckily, the Battle of France proved the Spitfire's worth and the rest, as they say, is history. It seems that whatever the crisis, the same problems will appear. Keep up the good work, Gordon Skillen. Well, um, I don't think we... I mean, we just didn't mention any of that. It's not a question that we... We obviously didn't know it, Al. (laughs) There was, I mean, Lord Swinton no, was Castle, sacked as Castle, a result of this. Yeah, Castle Br- Bromwich was a byword for for the shadow factory thing. Yeah, and it was the guy who was, yeah, what is what's his name? He owned Morris, was wasn't it? And um, and hmm. he 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 was absolutely hopeless, and he was he was sacked. Um, but another another casualty of that was Lord Swinton, who actually had been instrumental in setting up the shadow factories in the first place, and yep. he was the one who had to kind of. Um, uh, he, he was the fall guy in all this. Yeah, he had to take the rap, um, didn't he? Yeah, he took the rap, but he ended up being the head of the secret intelligence service, so it wasn't that bad a swap, really. And um, and and he survived. And um, you know, and he was, you know, Lord Swinton is is a sort of forgotten figure, but he was absolutely instrumental because he was a great backer of Dowding when um, Dowding was head of research and development. Yeah, uh, and was very instrumental in in making sure that that Dowding had the latitude to create the system, the, the air yeah. defence system. Yeah. So he's very involved in that, and also very involved in setting up these shadow factories in the first place. It's just yeah. the shadow fa- it was it was the operations of the shadow factories that didn't work, not the principle. Yeah. Uh, and Beaverbrook, I mean, I mean, so Seb Cox, who we had on the other day, yeah. he he thinks I'm overly generous to Beaverbrook. He thinks yes. that, that 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 actually, well, I did um, wonder. all the work had been done. Before 
beforehand and that the Beaverbrook arrived at the precise moment where it was all starting to come to fruition. But but you know, Gordon is absolutely right about the fraught um, process of the of the of the Spitfire, and of course the reason it, it it was so fraught is because the Spitfire is an incredibly complex machine to build, and it's so radically different from anything else that's come yeah, before. Yeah. You know, the the Hurricane yeah. works because it is basically an adaptation of a biplane that's just yep. been turned into a monoplane. But if you look at the fuselage in profile, it's exactly the same as a Nimrod or a well. I mean, I think what's 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 illustrative is the problem hawker then has when they switch to proper uh, metal monocoque aircraft like <laughs> absolutely yeah is that is that 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 the, if you want to you know because like you say the hurricane the hurricane is yeah is bigger bigger low bigger single wing but it's still a fabric on on, on uh, metal design and all that sort of stuff so it's it's yeah. a complete inheritor of um you know pre-monocoque metal design uh, fuselage design, in particular fuselage design, and so you. So well, it's all it's all it's all Irish linen on the fuselage. Well, exactly, exactly. So, 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 in fact, what Supermarine do, and and the other thing, because Supermarine, Supermarine, like 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 uh, Gordon very rightly points out, they're a, you know they're a boat plane manufacturer, and then they get they get snaffled up by Vickers because because they've come up with this. Um, uh, single seat fighter that is probably go- the government's probably going to order yep. tons of. I mean, it, you know, the the, the vicars are, vicars are speculating to accumulate here when they when they yeah. when they take when they take supermarine on with that aircraft, thinking right, okay, uh, and then and you know it's that thing of like you say, Mitchell. I mean, I'm, and I'm looking at my I'm looking at my groovy paperweight while we talk about yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. this, this aluminium concentric aluminium uh, rectangle spar design. He's designing a radical new aircraft. Vickers take it on. It's really, really, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And the and the yeah, you know, as proved by all the abortive, all the aircraft Hawker come up with that do not work. And, no, you know, exactly the, that. The effort and the effort it takes them to get to the Typhoon even being safe to fly. Yeah, you know, without the pilot being gassed. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? This is diff. This is difficult, difficult, difficult stuff. The, the the sort of head start that the Germans have in this is that they they made up their minds that what eighteen months earlier that they were going to do this, so they have they have a equivalent aircraft ready eighteen months earlier. Basically, it's it's kind of as yeah. simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, the the, the difficulty is always is, is getting the machine tools and training up the staff. And I yeah, and, yeah. and I do yeah. remember when so we were talking with Mike Nyberg the other day about the kind of, sort of yeah. the whole change around and the sudden kind of dramatic rearming of uh, under under Roosevelt in the summer of 1940 yep. and one of the first things he the Roosevelt does in the um in in May and June is, is create this advisory committee made up of of industrialists uh, and big businessmen um Edward Stetnus uh, who's yep. the, who's the steel magnate um and one of the key players is this guy called Bill Nudson who is a, a is a Dane who's come over in 1900 and he's the guy who's kind of sort of helped Ford develop the uh um the the conveyor line um yep. and also is the guy who's who's transformed General Motors leaves Ford because he has an argument with Ford over kind of you know he just says you need you need to change the model T it's getting boring yeah. everyone you, yeah. you need to make cars aspirational and change them every time and constantly evolve yeah. them Ford disagrees he leaves takes over G- General Motors and by the by the beginning of the war he, you know he's head of General Motors uh, and he says to um, when, when Roosevelt calls him up he says Mr President well, you know what you've got to understand is this it's going to take six months to build the machine tools six months to train the staff and then yep. six months before you're going to see anything substantial so you're right your 18 months line is is as a rule of thumb is about right um yep. 
And obviously, in the case of, of America, conveniently, 18 months from June 19, 1940 is December 1941, which, of course, yeah. is when they come yeah. into the war. Well, um, but the, but, well, it's the thing um, uh, Adam Toos talks about as well in Wages of Destruction, when he says Spear inherits the um, uh, organisation Todd and, yeah. the, and the fighter drive, basically the, 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 the point where it's kicking off. And he goes, look, look, it was me. Yeah. And in fact, he's 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 he's. Uh, you know, getting the fruit of other people's efforts. I mean, it's a lot like a lot like when when uh, Hitler comes to power, that the Weimar economic reforms are all kicking in, and it looks like right, it's him. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And the, the, the lots of these things that lots of these things that take a long time. I mean, the other thing that I'm uh, and th- this is I am casting my mind back to my degree now is I remember reading because um, we did the we did the cabinet papers in the in the run up. We did the cabinet papers literally up to Chamberlain going right. Okay, well then we'll declare war on the Germans. And all the just all the for, all, all the stuff war related. And at one point, he is Chamberlain. The cabinet are debating building Spitfires for two reasons. The first is, what about Germany? The second is, well, you know, we need to keep our um, skilled machinists um, in work, and we need to keep those skills going. And maybe who knows if we do build a load of Spitfires, what it'll do is it'll it'll cause knock on into other industries where these guys will go and get jobs as skilled machinists doing other things because we need to keep our skilled sector afloat yeah. because after all you know we're we're in we're, we're, you know that that, na- that national government is building council houses is doing all sorts of other stuff to keep the to keep the economy going post great depression and one of the things they're using is rearm they're using rearmament um uh to do that i mean just like just like just like in fact the germans aren't the germans are using rearmament to rearm <laughs> the yeah. Chamberlain government are, are partly doing it with an eye with an eye to the e- e- economic ramifications yeah. of doing it. Um, it's yeah. really, I mean, anyway, anyway. But that, an excellent, an excellent point there, Gordon. Thank you very much for chipping in. <laughs> we have to, we have to take a break. Uh, I just need to make sure that the machine tools are all uh, gleaming. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Thanks for all your support in recent weeks. 527,499 downloads in the past 30 days. But none of them aimed at the enemy. That's the statistic, which is a fantastic <laughs> amount of people taking an interest in the Second World War. Um, and, in, and in our take on it. Um, by the way, yeah, um, I've started a new book for independent company members um, on the Patreon. It's Pierre Costerman's The Big Show which is a brilliant account of the war in the air from a French pilot's perspective. A fantastic book. I'm nearly, I've nearly finished it. His, oh, um, that last bit, dealing... The last bits are so good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Tempest yeah, yeah. in 1945. But his, Whoa. No, but his dealings, his dealings with the... I mean, the other... Well, OK, Luna, let's stay on that. The thing that keeps becoming clear, or clearer and clearer and clearer, um, is that the, those last six months... Were from awful. Let's, were were horrendous, and horrendous. The, the, the the butcher's bill, from yep. the, and and this is at a time where the Allies are, uh, you know, the Germans have lost, and it's b- before um, Wacht am Rhein, you know, the Germans have have lost. There's no doubt about it. You've got to, the only way you're going to beat them is by is by grinding them down and fighting them and winkling yep. them out, and that costs men's lives and the and the air the allied air forces may well have air supremacy but that to enforce that costs and you know you can you can you can have cleared the skies of the Luftwaffe all you like but you the the anti-aircraft that the uh, uh, the, the germans are capable of such an eye-opener isn't it it's such an eye-opener and 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 it's just 
the sort of the casual violence in, in which you know yep. red two gets blown up and blue three yep. gets destroyed and yep. suddenly they come back from a sortie and another two are gone and, and, well, and you know that thing... doesn't sound like very many but but in a squadron of kind of you know two dozen chaps that's a hell of a lot yeah uh, particularly well clostermany t- every day because he talks about going to to Falkel, you know where in <clears> holland <throat> and he's based out of there in tempests and that you know that they, they, they've got me 262s to keep an eye on is the new threat and it and they do regard it as a threat because of because of how quick it mm. is more than anything else and that and they are and you know he gets there and they've you know they've lost 12 guys in the last three weeks or something and it's obviously chip 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 and like you say i mean these this is piling up and that that the, the the idea that kind of it's all over it's all over bar the sort of um mm. uh, uh bar bar the battle for berlin which is seen as the big sort of headline battle of the of the um end of the war it's just it's it, it doesn't it doesn't add up at all and that that that, that you've really got you know and you've you've got germany actually in its death throes um, for a long time, and 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 this thing of clinging on and making the Allies pay dear, and it's um, it's yeah. uh, it, it's really interesting, and it's the sort of thing that you know you come you come back to anyway. Let's uh, let's let's do a question, uh, and I've tried to do it in a bit more like he's a very sort of uh, considered French guy, so I've tried to make it a bit more considered in the way of Reddit. You speak in a French like, accent when you read it. No, I don't speak in a French accent, but it's more you know. So it was a wonderful day. I'm trying to be a bit more. I've tried yeah, to sit yeah. back on it a bit more. Nice. nice. It's not like Zeno, where it's like where it's like hours of frantic uh, shit scramble. You know, there's some. Uh... <laughs> he also, what's really interesting is he absolutely loves his aircraft. He yeah. loves them, and the way yeah. he talks about Spitfires and the way and the way he talks about the Tempest when he first mm. gets his hands on one, he loves these planes and goes into, you know, and you've got you've got horsepower details and everything right now. If if you're a warboard warboard bird nerd, God, more difficult than i thought it was that if you're a warbird, <laughs> warbird nerd it's right there for you you know all that yeah. um and what it's like and the whole thing that they have to they have to fire the in the winter they have to fire the tempests up every 45 minutes because otherwise they'll never get the oil flow going and the oh i love up. i just i just love that book i thought it was absolutely fantastic he's a very good looking lad as well actually wasn't he pierre klosterman yeah yeah you know he's the he's the full french fighter pilot package yeah. isn't he i yeah, can't get my teeth yeah. in this morning okay right okay so let's we have a question from um david bentley via twitter direct message hi chaps obligatory but genuine opening paragraph about loving the podcast long time listener etc keep up the amazing work you're helping thousands of us get through lockdown in splendid style well it's our pleasure david let me tell that i was listening to your fascinating specials on dunkirk and the fall of france and you got me thinking is it possible that there were british Holl- holiday makers enjoying a break in france belgium and holland pre falgelb in may 1940 would uk civilians have been allowed to travel to regions close to potential war zone if so how were they evacuated did any civilians come out through dunkirk and as a connected question what happened to the staff of the commonwealth wargrave uh, commission cemeteries in northern france and belgium once the german army arrived Hope someone can shed some light on this in a future episode. All the best to everyone on the We Have Ways team. Well, a little bit. There's a very, there's a brilliant, brilliant brace of books by Edward Spears, so General Lieutenant General Sir Edward Spears. Now, Edward Spears is a really interesting guy. We mentioned him a few weeks ago um, yeah. on the Dunkirk specials. He he was um, Churchill's special envoy out in out in France. Who's an absolutely fluent, fluent, fluent French speaker. Been brought up in France. Um, yep. Who worked on um, as a sort of liaison officer on French staffs during the First World War? Um, anyway, he's on holiday in France in <laughs> August 1939, 
and all his friends are kind of going this is it this is it's all over this is the last holiday you'll be able to enjoy and once war de- once war is declared he then drives back to the channel ports and with his wife and he's full of kind of loss and sadness that, that it's that it's all over, it's over you know yeah you know and this is it for a long time so the long shot of it is um that no you couldn't really travel to france after that i mean you could but you couldn't if you sort of mean you know holiday season was over they were at war i i don't think it was i don't think there was a rule like sort of if you go over you've got to self-isolate for two weeks but but <laughs> but, but you know just people just weren't really doing it and of course you know by the time war breaks out it's september and it's kind of, sort of holiday season sort of over there's this kind of sort of mm. feeling that it's kind of disrespectful to go off and go on holiday when yeah. but yeah. but of course because it happens at the beginning of September, there are lots of people who are on holiday at the time war is great and spears is absolutely not alone at all um yeah. uh, in terms of commonwealth war graves um um cemeteries um the germans are incredibly respectful about them actually um yeah. and yeah they do they just carry on i mean there's lots of stuff i mean so if you go to the menin gate there's lots of shrapnel marks from 1940 on, yeah. on the outside of the of the menin gate um hitler visited it and his tour just before he went to paris or was it just after? I can't remember. He did a motorised tour and he went to he went to eat and he mm. and there's a very famous photo of him by a brick wall with some of his comrades and he found his comrades and he took the same photo again and yeah, reenacted yeah. it and stuff like that. But no, Germans were generally very very respectful of, of, of those cemeteries and so the guys were able to carry on looking after them. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Now, David Dickinson, who's an independent company member, um, who I believe got a question on the on the live cast the other the other. God, day. he's doing well, isn't he? He is. He's keen. I like it. Um, uh, In between. Collaborate- um, in between the furniture stuff <laughs> he says um <laughs> collaboration we all have our own views on this uh, born of seeing france succumb to the vichy regime not only helping to identify jews and other political agitators supporting their capture and transfer to camps but also reporting their neighbors to the german authorities for any number of infringements there is also perhaps a romantic notion of the french resistance which has garnered widespread attention then suddenly everyone was in the resistance june july 44 <laughs> Even the surname of a collaborator in Norwegian has entered our English vocabulary. Quisling is not an endearing description. My question is, what would the Brits have done if Operation Sea Lion had succeeded? <laughs> I know, I know, but go with it for a minute. Would there have been a Vichy equivalent? How strong committed would the resistance have been? Would all the Brits have resisted and joined formal groups? It's easy to criticise occupied populations. But to be fair to them, we were not under Nazi rule for four years. Would we risk the reprisals and stick it to them? I like to think so. But after this lockdown and people reporting others to the police for alleged infringements, I'm not so (laughs) sure. (laughs) Well, it's the sort of SSGB, um, Len Dayton uh, uh, thing, isn't it? I mean, you know what? There were all sorts of um, dodgy uh, characters definitely sympathetic to Hitler in in um british politics including uh, including david lloyd george i mean you know for, for former prime ministers i think there's a high chance that he'd have been prime minister again or or oswald mosley and all those guys that yeah. were put in there were a hell of a lot of people were put in um yeah. put into into prison detained um for having extremist views and you know it was the british union of fascists and all the rest of it um you know i mean british union of fascists i mean they never took grip in the same way that that obviously the, the, the nazis did but don't forget that you know when the nazis came to power they only came to power with 33 percent of the vote and and that yeah. that percentage had only really recently grown i mean up until kind of 1931 they were still a kind of a bit of a joke you know things can change very very quickly and you know you've only got to look around the country and you've got to look at those sort of you know the the right wing types kind of sort of beating up people at the weekend 
over, you know, I'm going to defend my statue uh, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you realise that, that Britain is not short of people who would want to be um, collaborating with Nazis. Yeah. And you've also got... So the long short of it is, is, yes, of course, there would be people who would collaborate. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they'd, have, they'd have been able to scrape a government together of people prepared to do that. I think, well, am I right in thinking that the American embassy did a thing where it, where it, it pretended, it, it, had, it had a guy pretending to be um, a German uh, consul asking people what their position would be should, the, should Britain fall? And they got basically a list, a list. Of, I can't remember where I read that. Ended up with a list as long as long as their arm of people yeah. going. Well, you know, if if I had to, of course, and it would be for the sake of the country to, you know, because because after all, what you what you've you've what you've the other thing you've got to factor in is people who want a quiet life. You think well, the best thing to do is cooperate yeah, with them, and that and that will make it that will mitigate it. That yeah. you know, in fact, um, uh, um, Anne Applebaum wrote a really good, really, really, really good piece. And the week before last, about about collaborators and about, um, and she wrote it about Eastern, about East Germany and and about France and about and then yes. about the Republican Party and people in the Republican Party now who because if you you know of course if you broke with the party in East Germany in the DDR you'd you'd get gulagged or the equivalent East yep. German equivalent right, and there was a Stasi and all that sort of thing. And she's saying so you know you can see the price. Of not con- of basically not conforming with the state yeah, is yeah. a high price, which she's saying, and she says, well, but you look at American Republican Republicans. What's actually the price of not conforming with what the tr- with with Trump? What's actually the cost? You aren't gonna, you aren't gonna be gulagged. You aren't gonna um, lose your livelihood and all those sort of things. What? Why are people going along with it? And she t- and it's a really interesting. I I, I can't I, I can't remember what it's called. It's Anne Applebaum. And I can't remember, I think it's in the New York Times, it's something like that. And it's a really, really interesting, cool-headed thing going, mm. why are people going along this? It's because it's because it's the part, literally the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just the, it's just easier. It's just simpler and uh, uh, for people. And also power has that um, magnetism, doesn't it, that makes yeah. people go along. I mean, we've yeah. ta- you know, and we've, we've talked about, with, with, with Philippe, we talked about educated lawyers... Mm. Ambitious people thinking going with the power and the politics of the Nazis, but but power being that real proper attraction yep. to people. And there would have been people who felt there definitely would have been people who felt like that here. I mean, it's I suppose I suppose I suppose is you know what would have what would have would Halifax have led a Vichy Britain? Probably not. It would have been no. someone far less um, <laughs> kind of savoury, wouldn't it? I just, do you know, I just can't. Bear, I can't watch. I can read SSGB. I can watch SSGB. <laughs> I can't watch Resistance. I, I don't want to know or hear about anything that involves swastikas flying over England. I, I find the whole thing. I, it's a really, really deep, weird thing that I, I literally just can't bear it. Um, uh, I can't bear seeing, you know, right wing neo fascist thugs in our streets either. Of course, um, I, I just, I find the whole thing so deeply distasteful. Well, I couldn't Fiction agree more. Or, or, or for real. Couldn't agree more, James. Well, that's all we've got time for today, I'm afraid. We're back on Thursday. On that note, on that, on that <laughs> bombshell, we're back on Thursday with our regular weekly second podcast. Plus, we'll be live streaming Thursday evening at 8.30pm UK time. And we'd love for as many of you as possible to join us as we've got the wonderful Philips, Philippe Sands joining us live. And he's going to answer a load of your questions. It's going to be That is a real treat. I'm very excited about that happening. See you all soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.